This is Meaning, an exploration of how spiritual significance emerges from the life and work of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I'm your host, Chris Bonhoff. Today's guest is Plymouth member E.J. Kelly. E.J. has followed a unique path. In the midst of a successful career, he followed a persistent internal voice that kept telling him that he could do more to help the marginalized in our community. Instead of sticking it out until traditional retirement age and then devoting himself to philanthropy, he left his paying job and as a way of recharging, started volunteering at the Groveland Food Shelf. As it happened, at the same time, he began practicing meditation and centering prayer. Here's EJ explaining his path. I'd always been a churchgoer, kind of in the congregational tradition. And so at that point in my life, I tended to view Christianity and Jesus as this set of ethical teachings. You, you love others, you love your neighbors. Um, really, that was the heart of spirituality um, for me at that time. In my life, I would do I, I did human rights work and a number of other things that were um, focused on others outside of our community here. And at Plymouth, uh, I joined uh, really early on what was then called the Board of Neighborhood and Social Concerns, which is now the Board of Outreach, um, and did a number of things related to that, but really viewed this as, okay, it, it's governance, it's leadership from, the, from up above, and, and that's really what my church contribution should be. And then after that, I was on the Board of Deacons, um, and in charge of the Benevolence Committee and really doing all the work of the church in a very traditional way, consistent with... With the ethics that With you the ethics that I had. Learned. But it always felt like something was missing. I wasn't doing enough. Um, and maybe I should... It shouldn't just be something you did on a Wednesday night once a month and some Sunday mornings. And so that was nagging at me. I started thinking, I really got to do something different. And... How much is really enough? What if instead of waiting until I'm 65 to leave my paying job, what, what if I left earlier, um, maybe when I was 50 or 51, and, and tried to um, lead a more purposeful life? Somewhere in their introduction to Centering Prayer, Diane Boroff and Jan Maddox were leading at the time, was being offered. And um, I looked at that and said, oh, I, I should do that because I really don't know where my life is going next. And I tended to view it as going to a life coach or career counselor. Like you'd center in prayer, for, you'd do centering prayer for a while, meditate, and all of a sudden, Things would be revealed almost like you'd done a, um, you know, one of those assessments of what you want to do in your career. And, and the more I got into meditation, centering prayer, and went deeper down the path, I really came to see everything differently. So my perspective on even what I was trying to do changed 100%. Hmm. And at, at that same time, when I left my job, I, I was burnt out. That gave me the idea to volunteer at the Groveland Food Shelf. It was just, it wasn't meant to be um, really a next step. It was meant to be something different from what I was doing, where at the end of the day, I could see we helped unload that truck or put this food on the shelf, and uh, you'd, you'd had this Im impact. 
Uh, and it was really as simple as as that. Ah, yeah. So it was it was kind of a sabbatical. Yes. At first. That's that's exactly it. I want to circle back to uh, what you said about how centering prayer uh, changed the way you looked at everything. It's it's this process. So you you don't see it happening as it's happening. You, you see it in, um, absolutely see it in retrospect. Thomas Merton talks about uh, there is a true self, which is God within us and the spark of the divine that each of us is born with that is unique to us. And um, that gets encased in um, what he used the term false self, which you might say self-created self because false self seems to have a value judgment. What that consists of is, as we develop, we tend to be focused on behaviors that ensure our security. And there's nothing wrong with being secure, but sometimes we take that to the extreme. How much money do we need to live, everything else? And we get attached to really trying to satisfy all that. And um, in meditation or centering prayer, we learn to let that go. That doesn't mean we don't care about our needs at all, but we we um, learn to not be so driven to try to meet those. And when during that process, several things happen. One, we the energy that we have devoted so much to accumulating things and being liked and being told we're really good at what we do and being in control of things that you can't possibly control, we can then, that energy is freed up and we can devote that to other purposes, say being in community with our neighbors, um, radiating love into our, the world around us. But also as we focus less on what we need to be happy, we start seeing so the, there's a perspective switch as we start seeing that we are indivisibly part of a greater world. We are we are in nature, not outside of nature, and really we are one with each other. And we start seeing others as ourselves, which is of course um, what 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 Jesus talked about and what um, I'd always found motivating, but more in an ethical way as opposed to a way of being in the world and perspective. We talk about mindfulness, but we learn to be attentive and wholly present where we, where, where we are. And that enables us to be wholly present, whether we're in nature or we're with our brothers and sisters. It's we can truly be present and start to see them as subjects in the world as well, and not just objects we inter interact with. It's, it's an ongoing work of transformation and um, changing our consciousness and how we perceive ourselves and our place in the world and our attachments to certain identities. Jesus talks about to save your life, you need to lose it. And that always seems paradoxical, but it, 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 I think it's exactly what we're talking about here is we need to let go or die to some of these self-attachments and, and earlier life identities in order to find the true purpose and true meaning in, in our life. And, and it's That's that right. personal transformation and growth throughout one's life. Yeah. The resurrection is continual and it is here. Yes, absolutely. Yes.
and it can be here individually, but it also sh it can be a way we, we can look at resurrection communally as well. Yeah, the 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 idea that salvation is not an individual right. act, but it's a communal act is man. That is a paradigm shifting thing for Christian communities mm -hmm. today, I think. Yes. So let's bring it back to, mm -hmm. to the food shelf. Um, how long have you been doing work with the food shelf now? That would have been in about 2013, so uh, eight maybe nine years ago. It was about distribution of, of food, so I tended to look at it in business and economic terms initially. Over time, I see that as almost the least of what's going on there. It's a community. Most of the people that volunteer and work at the food shelf are from this community, Many, and they look like this community, um, and they have the struggles of people in this, this community around church. Many of them are using the food shelf right now and volunteer there as a way of participating in that community so they feel like they're giving as opposed and not just receiving. And I, I think it, um, it really provides some self-esteem building for people that may feel kind of down about where they are right now. And so a lot of the people that help out there are people that have challenges in their life right now. And it's in relationship with them that I have grown the most and really had some of the most aha moments that we've been talking about here, about my spirituality and about really my purpose. And it's taught me to be much more of a present, attentive person because really that one of the best gifts I can give anyone is to listen to them and to listen to their story and, and, and to care. There's a group of homeless people that their numbers and people change, and I, I know some of them, and they will hang out sometimes on, on Plymouth land, and we, we take care of them at the food shelf. We feed them and provide them water. And I was bringing um, some food out, and one of the people hanging out in the group I really hadn't seen before, and she asked if she could use the bathroom. There's some legitimate concerns about just letting people, but I, she, she, she really was pleading with me and said, she, and they had been teasing her, the group. So I really felt for her and I said, of course, come with me. And um, I took her to the bathroom on the lower level and waited for her when she was done and was walking her back out. We'd had a nice little conversation. I was already talking to her, listening, and she had tears in her eyes. She said, are you a minister? I said, no. And she said, well, my, my sister died three days ago. Could you say a prayer for her? And, um, and I asked her her sister's name. I said, now, or do you want me to pray later? Um, and she, she gave me her sister's name, Jean Louise, and said, um, no, can I hold your hand and just tell you about her? So we talked, and she cried, and I held her hand, and, um, uh, and she told me her name as well, which is Nettie. And um, I probably spent five, ten minutes with her. We were busy and behind that morning. I'm trying to get things done. We're trying to get things done so we can open at 930. Mm -hmm. And I was very nice to Nettie, but I, it, it was like, okay, a little bit of me is going, hurry along, efficiency, 
got to get things done. And I later thought I was treating her as an interruption to my morning and what I was supposed to be doing. And in reality, what I was supposed to be doing is just what I ended up doing is being there with Nettie. Yeah. I think about for us at Plymouth, how our lives are so different than hers, just at the level of grief and grief support. It's important for me that often tends to think about things from an economic justice standpoint, just how some of these simple human needs are not being satisfied there. And um, she doesn't have an opportunity to go on a retreat or spend a week at someone, a friend's cabin or all the things we do to support each other. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it expands one's perception of what human needs are. Concepts that, that just recently uh, I became aware of is uh, the idea of the birdcage of oppression hmm. and how there are these interlocking strands that form the framework for systemic oppression. You know, you can think about who or what is inside the birdcage in different ways, I think. I mean, you can think about individuals, you can think about the status quo, but the idea that the healthcare system is one, is one strand, and if it were mm -hmm. just the healthcare system yes. that were oppressing people, then that would be something that, that could be addressed. But when you, when you pair that with the economic system and the education system, and the regulatory system yeah. that expects certain things of people in order to uh, be eligible yeah. for social security, for example, you, you see that all of these things work together and reinforce each other uh, to, to create this, this incredibly strong framework for keeping things the way they are. And I mean, just hearing these stories and the perspectives of uh, the food shelf community, it's clear that like these folks are, are experiencing all of these things that maybe we as Plymouth members can separate ourselves from, or th uh, at least construct for ourselves the illusion that we are not necessarily held in place by these things to the extent that these other people are. And you mentioned healthcare in there, but really as part of that, I, I'm appreciating mental health more than I really ever have before. I, I don't see any resources at all um, presently in mental health area for this group unless they're in crisis. The arc of EJ's story shows a shift in his understanding of what it is to volunteer at a food shelf. From a starting point where he viewed it almost like an exercise regimen of stocking shelves that also helped people, to today where he sees presence and relationship as the core of why he and the food shelf clients are there. In the process, his understanding of the challenges faced by food shelf clients grew. If you were to imagine yourself in EJ's place, what emotions come up? What reflections do you have about EJ's story about helping Nettie to grieve her sister's death? And finally, EJ followed the nagging voice, urging him to help more. What is your nagging voice calling you to do? 
Thanks to Jimmy Hulse for our theme, to Max Brunel for additional music, and to Cody Bordeaux for audio engineering. And thank you for listening. Do you have feedback or ideas for future episodes? Email us at meaning at plymouth.org. Meaning is a production of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis.